looking at? I'm Fathery. I'm Aaron. And instead of a podcast, this is actually a Vendurian morality test. So quick, everybody, take off your pants. Captain's log, star date 7403.6. pretending to do a captain's log? I saw that, but I don't believe it. A Vendorian doctor. A uh, shapeshifter? Ah, move. Look, I can set you up with somebody great on the Cerritos. There's that Felosian and Tactical. She seems like a nice plant person. Intelligent plants? Orion's little game of neutrality and piracy is over. For your information, many Orions haven't been pirates for over five years! Time to take this puppy off its leash! Warp me! Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 264th installment of the Tex Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new. And the 20th installment of Drawn to Trek, an animated Star Trek podcast, part of the Trek Geeks Network. And tonight, we're talking about Star Trek Lower Deck Season 4, Episode 8, Caves, written by Ben Rogers, the voice of Steve Stevens, and directed by Megan Lloyd. And uh, before we get in this episode, just a uh, little bit of quick housekeeping as per usual. Uh, we always have to thank the wonderful, wonderful people over in the TextRec Patreon that uh, help support the show with a monthly contribution. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to be doing for the November watch party, but I have a, have a suggestion. We have to We have to clear it with one of our uh, Division 14 Patreon supporters who uh, it gets a, a turn in the in the rotation of selecting episodes. But uh, I was thinking because it is Thanksgiving, it was actually a Aaron's suggestion, maybe a Charlie X. Uh, we haven't done a TOS episode in hmm. there in a while, but uh, we'll have some type of watch party in November. I think if we want to throw in a, an animated series episode, we could put in The Survivor so you could kind of get a <laughs> glimpse of what we were doing in this. Yeah, that would have some uh, some relevance. Context. Um, yeah. So that's going to be November 18th. For me, they're always so short, I just try to throw them in. I was like, oh, just add one here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whenever we do those half-hour ones, we normally do two episodes, so that is a way to get more more content in there. Those have been pretty fun. People seem to like showing up to those, but uh, that's uh, you can yeah. come in as little as $2 a month. There's some other perks if you can afford to be more generous, but that'll get you into those monthly watch parties and whatever whatever Thanksgiving-themed... It may not be Thanksgiving-themed, but whatever episode uh, we, we work out with Robbie for... November 18th. I'll let y'all know. There was uh, not really much in the way of news this week before we start talking about this episode. There, there was a Star Trek uh, Universe panel at New York Comic Con over the weekend, but not a, not a ton of new stuff. Uh, yeah. Anyway, sorry. The, the days are all kind of like merging together. It's like, wait a second. That's like two weeks ago. I guess it's not two weeks ago. <laughs> but we did, a, we did a stream on the on the YouTube channel. So if, yes. if listeners want to check that out. Yeah, Rachel and I talked about that, but there wasn't there wasn't a ton of, of new stuff. Really, we just we learned we're going back to Orion and Lower Deck season five, and the Starfleet Academy writers' room have have gone back to working, and they're back on track to start shooting that show some point next year, and that's kind of already yep. the plan before the strike. So, um, uh, nothing much in the way of new stuff uh, as far as like shows and stuff go. We did we did mention the uh, the the new comic series from IDW, the uh, Sons of Star yep. Trek. Or Sun, that's what Correct. it's called, right? Sons of Star yep. Trek. SOS. Yeah. It's weird to have like, yeah. It's also weird to have like Star Trek as part of that title. It's like normally Star Trek something or whatever, but it's like yeah. except for the Sons Kelvin, of, like 
like they did Star Trek Into Darkness or Star Trek Beyond, like without the, without the colon. Where right. It's like, but I mean, just as far as like a title for a comic goes, it, yeah. it feels like it's merged two things together. It's not Sons of Star Trek. It's Sons of like the characters inside. Anyway, <laughs> for me, it's a weird nomenclature. Well, um, I guess there was like nothing had used it yet. So it was like easy, easy True. to clear that name <laughs> with, with legal. Yeah, so. I don't know what you would call it otherwise. But, but, yeah, <laughs> It's like, well, this clears and we can't think of anything better. So that's what we're doing. Sons of Legacy. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if we don't have any other any other news, we can uh, go ahead and, and get into the Slower X episode, Caves. We uh, already covered Prodigy and everything else. I think, yeah. we're, I think we're good. So I can uh, refresh it for all of y'all real quick by just reading the official synopsis, and I'll kind of expand on that with uh, spoilers. But the uh, official synopsis reads... Remember those 1980s sitcoms where people got stuck in a basement and then they remembered what other things that they did? That's this. <laughs> Uh, here we go. The Lower Deckers go on a classic cave mission. So, um, these synopses Wait, that's it? this season, that's they've, all been like, they've all been like really like one sentence, like short, like they're kind of funny, actually. Um, I wonder if that was like an intentional direction they were going with. Uh, but, but yeah, we, we get a, a cave clip show where everyone takes turns telling a story about when they were trapped somewhere. And one of the stories was not in a cave, but all the other ones were. Um, and, and, but I guess there is more to it. Like the, the story is, uh, they, they kind of show how they all have like their own separate lives outside of their little friend group. But yet we're, well, I'm kind of yeah. getting into like, I guess, uh, opening statement territory. So, um, uh, Aaron, why don't, why don't, why don't you give like the first opening statement? To I was going to say, why don't you thoughts. do it? Why? Since you're in the middle of okay, it. Okay. Well, I couldn't um, remember whose turn it was, but. I think it's your turn. I, okay. I think that's right, actually. Um, but, but, but yeah, so I guess the story was about how, you know, even when friends can drift apart and grow apart, you know, that is part of our, I guess, evolution. And sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes you are going to have to go uh, learn things with Delta Shift or with Steve Levy or whatever. But, you know, we see them come together as, as a group after spending time away and continuing their own personal growth. They are able to become an even greater ensemble than they were before. So in a way, they actually kind of contribute more to their collective and kind of, in a way, or maybe like brought closer together by spending more time apart and just giving yeah. themselves like that time to to develop. And Sometimes you need that time apart to to build that, that bond up. You don't know who you miss till they're gone, you know, that kind of a thing. Totally. And it's a, a universal experience. You know, it's a very relatable thing that I think a lot of us, you yeah. know, humans are very social creatures. And I, I often refer to Star Trek as a, uh, you know, it's... It's a show about the human experience. And, um, well, I've heard that but, before somewhere. I don't know why. <laughs> Where? Like that real relatable idea of like, uh, you know, like we go to you know school or get like these jobs together with people. And then as, as we, I guess, move up in life and uh, stop having that, that thing that brought us together as friends, uh, you know, when that stops being a relevant part or a constant part of our daily lives, it can be harder to maintain those friendships and. I don't know. It's it's sad. It's like a bittersweet thing. It's something that like I kind of, as someone who spends like a lot of time, like I don't know, kind of wishing like um, I maintained like some of my older friendships better. Just kind of like missing like people I used to spend more time with. It's like um, almost kind of like uncomfortably relatable at times. But um, yeah, it's like that. It kind of reminds me like because COVID, I think, probably made that uh, a more relatable thing for most people. Because I'm sure there are people who lost touch with people just because they couldn't see each other for like a year or something, and then when they came back, they were different people or. They grew apart. 
But also, I thought using the Vendorians was great. That was such... Like, they, they didn't have to do that. They didn't have to, like, pull, yeah. like, this deep cut from the animated series. They could have had anything in the world giving them the morality test in the caves. I mean, it's Lower Deck, so, you know, no surprise they wanted to make it a, a cool callback to something in the Star Trek franchise. But the Vendorians, like, that that was exciting to me as... As, yeah. a, as a fan of, of TAS. So if it was like a main race that was used in TAS, is it still a deep cut or is it just a, a reference? I mean, it's just sort of like, it feels like deep cut would be like suddenly Mariner comes out and has one red sleeve, which is, a, you know, like that happened to Nurse Chapel in like a frame or something like that. I would that, call it a deep cut because like cut. it's it's like a one, it's a one-off race. Like they were, I mean, I know they, they had like true. a brief reoccurrence in Envoys, but yeah. I mean, it was like, like, there are Vendorian episodes in Star Trek now. Just like there's, there's Klingon yes, episodes and Borg episodes. Yeah. I mean, not a lot. There's only two. Two. <laughs> like Envoys is not a Vendorian episode despite having a Vendorian in it. Although right. how many, who's to say how many episodes have had yeah. Vendorians in them? So uh, that, that was goes to your whole idea that Starfleet is just filled with shapeshifters. Maybe some of them are Vendorians, too. Yeah, I, guess, I guess like the, the last thing I'll add for my for my opening statement is just uh, speaking of like things that are hit on kind of like a bittersweet note. Uh, I, I continue to enjoy the show a lot, even though I had to go a third week in a row without to Lynn, So boo on that. Uh, season five needs to have more. Yeah. Seeing these these lower deckers how like they've kind of had more growth kind of them referring to things like oh this is a beta shift reunion like are they not like working together as closely as they were when they were ensigns and and if they are going to stop yeah if they're going to stop uh spending so much time together and kind of having like their own starfleet careers more separate from one another like i really do feel like the you know mike mcmahon's talked about we don't know if it's going to be five seasons six seasons or seven seasons but for for the first time i'm really feeling like the show is is closer to the the end than it is the beginning and I almost like hate myself for saying that because who wants it yeah. to end we're all enjoying it but i mean that's like we're, we're past the halfway point even if it runs seven seasons we're past the halfway right. point there's more lower decks behind us than in front of us i think well the thing is the seven seasons like where did that rule cover it happened to last seven seasons like and then that became like a standard for star trek but that doesn't mean it has to be just seven seasons yeah and not that it's going to run I mean, more not, or less but yeah a lot of shows stop there it's like a do they? Yeah, it's like um, it's it's really it's really hard to get past. I mean, traditionally, it's kind of hard to get past five, uh, and then it's a lot harder to get past seven. You know, I think unless the, you're uh, The Simpsons, and then you're like seven hundred. Yeah, I, like a lot of like uh, actors like renegotiate after contracts after yeah. like five years, or they and then, get, like after you get bored. They, well, and they also <laughs> get like super expensive. And yeah, oh, that's true. The TNG cast would have wanted to do ten seasons of TNG, but uh, you know, Paramount wanted to launch a UPN, and they're like, yeah, we're uh, we can't afford to do it. We're going to do like this big budget new show, but not with these expensive people. We're putting them in movies. The movies can have them. So we need we need cheaper people on TV. So that's funny. And now it's like, it seems like people who are actors, movie actors are excited to do stuff on television because television has kind of become more of a prestige <laughs> yeah. you know, platform than it used to and then be. We saw where that got us. So um, mm. that might that might be uh, reversed. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's all over the place. But uh but but still liking lower decks, but yeah. I am I am feeling like it. Okay, we we're we might be in the, kind of like the back half of the show's lifespan, which isn't necessarily like a bad thing. I mean, everything's going to end eventually. All good things. And it's better to end while it's good while as it's opposed good, yeah. to like dragging on and like oh god, it's a new another new in- ensign or something right. that we've introduced her. Yeah, we we added a new Brady Bunch cousin. Like here here's cousin Ro. They, you know? No, but whenever they add a baby, it's on its way down. Oh no, they've had a baby. <laughs> Rutherford had a child. I mean, we we're, this is the second clip show we've done. I mean, I, I don't. I I love Lower Decks. I think for the most part, it is pretty fresh and original week to week. But you know, when you, when you've we've done multiple clip shows, you're probably past your halfway point. Yeah, 
yeah, that reminds me of another uh, clip show thing where it's uh, I jokingly said in the beginning of the, the uh, 80s sitcom where they're trapped in a basement doing, you know, uh, flashbacks. There was one that was just like a flashback to a flashback. It was one of the an episode that just kept getting deeper and deeper. And you're like, and then they had to back out of the, the, the recollections. It was really funny. But that's sort of what this reminded me of in a way. Just those classic, oh, no, we're stuck in the, the, you know, did you, why did you close the door? The basement doesn't open this way or something, or, you know, whatever, they're, where they're stuck. And they have to wait for somebody to come and rescue them. And they're like, back in the day, like uh, Nick at Night, they used to do these like TV trope marathons where like one night they're like, here's a bunch of episodes of people being stuck in, you know, closets. Yeah. Or whatever. They, would, they would just show all these episodes of, yeah, like the reason they have is like, oh, we're only going to have like you know, two of the actors, like, on set most days, so it's going to be easy to yeah. shoot and easy to write. And then and... we just edit in the co- the past video. and Yeah, yeah. exactly. So... Which is funny, because they didn't need to do that for this, because it's animated, obviously. But I love that uh, they also... I don't know if it's exactly the same frame, but they drew... Like, there are consistent designs through all of these different montages that are the same cave shape and everything, but maybe colored slightly differently or whatever. So it's the idea is that it's reusing the same cave over and over again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what else is funny is, is I was just thinking about this type of stuff because I, I checked out, uh, the the shuttle pod one show recently, they had the Okudas on there and Dominic Keating is talking to Mike and Denise Okuda about like their work in Star Trek. And at some point he's talking about Dominic Keating is saying, I was watching some next generation the other night and I saw those actors were crawling around some rock configuration. And I was like, I've seen those rocks. I've, I've been on that set. I, so uh, I thought that was, that was funny. And then we get like this cave episode, you know, talking about how like, yeah, Star Trek does all these stories set in caves. You know why? Because it's easy to shoot television in a cave. So, or in a, in a made up cave. Um, yeah. Was It's their standing set. It's like easy to, to just spray a little bit of color on it and change it. And ta-da. Well, I guess... Did you have anything else before we get into the episode of Breakdown? Uh, no, I just, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It uh, it took an old concept and made it kind of fresh. And yeah. Let's we'll start off with like the very beginning of the episode. The Cerritos arrives at Planet Gratanus, I guess is how you say it. And to to beam down yeah. for some, some cave <laughs> research, which uh, I, guess, I guess this was a little predictable. Like as soon as they were beaming down, I was like, oh yeah, Mariner's going to like be like, uh, is it a cave? And everyone else is going to like nerd out and be like, oh yay, a Starfleet cave mission. But it got interesting pretty quick. I thought with I got like the cave in, like then like the com badges don't work. And I love like Mariner like calls it out. Like, why does this always yeah. happen? Because yeah, like it does always happen. And, but then you get like carnivorous moss. Well, she also says, you know, uh, hundreds of years of technological advancement is stopped by rocks, essentially. <laughs> I think that is actually like how things will be in the future. Like if you if you well, see stuff yeah. now, like stuff doesn't work all the time. Like we like no, I'm, your cell phone wouldn't work underground yeah. either. I mean, it's like that's there's no reason for the communicator to work. It's like not they're not using some sort of like a space subspace signal that will go through stuff as far as we know at least. But I think the what I loved when this started, there's her talking. She's like, I hate K naves. It's like there's it was beamed down and reassembled, and she's still talking and then the uh just seeing her eyes when everything crosses and she's just like has this look on her face like uh-huh i told you as the rocks come tumbling down and then boiler says he hates he hates caves missions too <laughs> and, and then later she's even like oh so are y'all gonna tell me like all the i told you so's now or are we doing it one at a time all at once or so- you want it one at a time yeah <laughs> those were good 
on like a philosophical level though like i think like uh i think people will always like push things so far and like go so like we're all like how far are we gonna like go and explore like we'll always like go like past like the point where like communications don't work like we're always gonna be like kind of yeah. like pushing to like that because like that's what actually like bothers me in like future stuff where like the technology works well like all the time it's like no like if you watch like real life people like try to have like zoom meetings and order things online and like you know have skype calls with what like like or stuff this even our show <laughs> yeah like like there's like glitches and hiccups like we we use imperfect technology uh like very liberally in real life constantly so i think that'll probably continue in the future you know just, i just kind of want someone to just be like yeah like we always like use stuff before it's ready and when it still is, is glitch, mm-hmm. glitching out all the time tindy and rutherford's enthusiasm over soluble minerals and uh osmotic moss yeah that's very tendy boimler's flashback is uh first up with uh with steve levy so uh what did you think when i guess when you when did you realize oh is this gonna be like a clip show with like flashbacks and stuff it's just from the thumbnail and the name. Like, it's probably just going to be a, a vignettes of stories. I didn't necessarily know that they were together, but it, it felt like it was going to be something like that because that just feels like something they would do. I actually thought like when Tindy tries to tell her story first, because like before Boimler is telling his story, Tindy's like, yeah, it's kind of like that time that we were in the No Mariners. Like, shut up. That wasn't a cave. It's not like that at all. Right. I was like, oh, they were going to do a clip show, but they're like, oh, they're not going to do a clip show. But then like when Boimler's doing this, I was like, oh, it is a clip show. But then I'm like, Wait a minute. Is this like all going to be cave stories? <laughs> well, if, for sure. When like they went to like you know cut to his story and it, the last words like echo. It's like you know. So I was with Levy, Evie, Evie. You know, it's just like okay, they're it's setting <laughs> it up to be that kind of like you know the flashback, like the wavy lines and the you know music kind of like when in sitcoms, like when they do that stuff like that. You know, from a from a structural standpoint, it's kind of interesting that they they drop the Vendorians on us right off the bat in the first yeah. flashback, but it makes sense because it gives you time to forget about them. At the mm-hmm. end, you can be surprised when they they show up. So, yeah, they're they're kind of like a framing device, like beginning and the end. You would use this story as the final one, except you have to have Tindies as the final one. But by making it the first yeah. one, it gives you time to kind of forget the the whole Vendorian deal. And and Levy, I think I think you get like a lot of the humor of the episode up front. You know, with with Levy's conspiracy theories, I can just imagine the lower decks writers' room just like let's come up with Star Trek conspiracies. You know, like. Uh, they make comms that don't that don't work under the rocks because they don't want us to hear what they don't want us to hear and stuff like that. You still on the Wolf three five nine stuff? I know that people were saying this like, oh, you know, Boimler is really harsh on him. It's just like just knowing what these kind of people actually exist in real life and how much damage they cause. I'm just like, nope, I'm too bad. He's gonna get yelled at. Especially the whole like, you know, I didn't read the mission briefing. I like to see things with my own eyes. It's like that should get you thrown out of Starfleet, honestly. <laughs> That's the, uh, the I, I do my own research attitude. Yeah. I do love that they mention that he's a like a mathematical prodigy, which is the only reason probably that he's still there. Although you think like, hey, they have computers that do math too. Like, <laughs> it's like, why do we need him? Yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly like how, how harmful his, uh, his, his conspiracy theorism goes in the, in the Federation. I think he's probably a fairly right. harmless guy. Yeah. I think because it's reflecting our world today, it's sort of like... It feels okay for us. Probably in the in in the Starfleet world, he was a little harsh. But like we were saying before the the stream, sometimes when you work with somebody, they kind of need to hear that, even if you're a little bit you know mean about it, because they they're not gonna clock it until you actually kind of make a point and say no, you're doing this and it's driving people crazy, or you know the reason people don't want to work with you is X, Y, and Z, and you might not want to hear it, but that's why you know. And so then you know I'm. 
that happened to me, you know? So it's just, it's a very relatable, like this whole show is very relatable. That's what's funny. It's like every, it, it seems really like every, is. everything in this, this episode has like, okay, that kind of happened to me before. I've seen that before. When I, when I hear Mike McMahon talk in interviews, he talks a lot about like his younger days when he was starting his career and... I guess it's kind of like that idea, like when he first came to Hollywood and he was uh, so excited, you know, when he was first getting his, his you know, earliest jobs before he was even like a, a, a real writer when he was like a like a PA or an assistant or whatever. And how he said he was like Tindy, he was like so excited to be doing everything and um, just like you just, just be be like doing the work itself, just being up even at like the most lower deck level. And it really is a show kind of about like that stage in life, kind of like, like I don't know, it's like a show about like, like your early 20s. There's like that, like either like people you meet like at school or at like a like a job when like you're really young and just kind of like he even talked about like the, the relationship with Mariner and Jennifer how that's kind of like yeah it's kind of like when you get like that first like a uh, like serious adult relationship and it's with someone who's just just not right for you and it doesn't work out very long but it's kind of it's kind of something like you needed at that point in your in your growth and and stuff like that yeah but the uh the Vendorian reveal which uh I know I know it was a big deal for you it was a big deal for me <laughs> I I was surprised that like the how how big of a part they had like it's like where they like stayed on screen they yeah. kept talking and they're like talking about like their planet and their culture and yeah their... which is like we've now exponentially increased the information that we knew about Ventorians. yeah the the memory alpha and I page love what they did double. with the heads yeah they're such a great I like the fact that they for animation the pattern is like was you know originally it looked like oh that's just biologically part of what they are and since we only saw one of them and they kind of replicated that the one in in envoys, but it's kind of interesting that these, you know, they all have their own symbol or whatever. And of course, the the leader ha- looks like it has kind of a crown, yeah, which is kind of funny. But it's kind of like the Klingon head ridges. But they're also, you know, they're shapeshifters. Maybe it's something that they can do. Like maybe they, like at a certain age, you you earn the right to have a crest on your head or something. Yeah, that could be like their like their name tag or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they're but cool. they're really neat to to see how they're animated, just like how they how they express themselves. It's almost kind of like watching like mm-hmm. Aladdin's carpet, you know, in like Disney's Aladdin. How like they turn like this like most like unexpressive thing. It's like a, a, a yes. rectangle made of fabric, and like the animators were able to get like so much <laughs> physical performance out of that. It's it's cool to see like yeah. the Vendorians how they they kind of like talk with their tentacles and and their eyes glow, and the shape of their head will kind of change as they're talking and. It was mm-hmm. really neat, just from like an animation perspective. It was much more that they were able to do in in seventy three because that's like the tentacles went like this, and that was about it. You know, just like kind of wave around, and they picked picked up Kirk and Spock, but that was one of those classic like it's just frozen. He, they're just holding them and they're moving it around. So, but yeah, this is very cool to be able to see them how they function and what they do when they move and and all that. Yeah, that actual motion that the animated series implied uh, Lower Decks can can depict pretty easily. Deliver. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I ever thought of their eyes as kind of, or the whatever those spheres are on their head, glowing. I don't think that's, that part to me is a little bit weird. But, you know, we didn't see, I guess, the Vendorian in the dark in TAS, so fine. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they they hang out in caves a lot, so maybe that's uh, it's normal for them to have like the maybe that's their planet. Yeah, the glowy eyes. I liked uh, the the funny line that made me laugh here was was Boimler. He basically paraphrases the Alan Moore quote about the about conspiracy theories in the rudderless world. But when he says, uh, "I thought you were just a paranoid anxiety made up by people who needed an imagined enemy to simulate order of unrelated disasters, so that life doesn't seem so random and chaotic," and then. The line in response to that, ha, that's exactly what we wanted you to think. Which, okay, the 
problem with that is like he's seen a Vendorian he, before. Yeah. He's literally mentioned that they are shapeshifters. <laughs> that line would have been okay coming from Levy. In fact, I wonder if it was supposed to be for Levy because that makes more sense. But coming from Boimler, it doesn't make any sense because he knows they're real. <laughs> Why would you say that? I mean, I don't know. It just seemed very strange. Yeah, he had a uh, Mariner. I literally tell asked him, Mike McMahon that, but I haven't heard back yet. So <laughs> Mariner told him like, "That's not an Endorian. That's a Vendorian or something, something like yeah. that." And, it's like, don't get involved. Yeah, they're like, ha-ha, I'm a little boy. Like, it shape-shifted, like, yeah. right in front of I'm them. I'm a little boy. Even, yeah. like, <laughs> pointed out, like, hey, asshole, I just shape-shifted right in front of you and then ran away. So, and you, we can't say that this flashback takes place before Envoys because Boimler already has his promotion. Right. Unless yeah, like, that's what I, because it, it, yeah. Instead of a piece of and corn, what could the black pit be? I don't know, like a piece of yeah, charcoal right. or something. He's got, like, a... Exactly. A uh, brown M&M on his collar. We we were both thrown off a little bit when we we heard Don Lewis's voice coming out of one of the Vendorians. But she's <laughs> she's doing some other some other characters uh this season on Lower Decks. But it also like after they did the first one, you hear them in every uh story. So not only they're sort of reusing this the the caves and the the scenario, they're also reusing the voice actor, which I think is kind of cool. <laughs> it's just a whole, you know, conservating you know like, well if it, if this was tas it wouldn't be nobody would notice because it's always the same two people yes <laughs> maybe that's what that was a reference to who knows yeah but and i think every it's to me i think the very last vendorian that we hear is jerry o'connell i think and i sped it up a little bit and it kind of sounds like him i mean he's it, there's some intonations it's like oh that's how he says that and since they're all doing voices i thought maybe he was in there too probably and i think uh uh was one of them shacks yes Ted, yeah, Tadashore, yeah. Or Tadashore. The bugs are gross. <laughs> <laughs> I would try a bite of a Vendorian cricket. I would, I, I, don't, I wouldn't like order one. I, I don't, I, I don't want to commit to eating all of it, but I, I would try a bite of it. I can be an adventurous I mean, I eater. guess I like lobster and stuff like that. <laughs> so they, they kind of looks like that, I guess. They're big bugs. They're crab. Uh, so in the Survivor, the TAS episode, uh, we have a philanthropist who everybody in the, the Federation knows crashes on Vendor Prime. Well, just said Vendor. And they have really great medical technology, but not a lot of information on humans. So he only lived about a year. Uh, and the Vendorian that we see in the show is the one that was taking care of him. And he was approached by Romulans to spy for them. And Vendorians normally have turned down Romulans, anybody, really. They seem more like they're keep-to-themselves sort of people. Mm -hmm. And this guy is, he, call, he called himself a non-producer. He didn't do any, he didn't give anything to the society. He didn't create anything, which felt very, like, almost like capitalist. <laughs> Things like, I don't make anything, so I'm not worth anything. Yeah, that's like, that's Anne Randian. Yeah, it was very, it was odd. And maybe that was what they were trying to, to reference, even. And so the Vendorian's like, oh, well, I can look like Carter Winston. That's the perfect person to basically become a spy on the enterprise and great but as he spends more the longer that they resume or assume the shape or the thing that they're imitating or the person they become more like them they they can hear their thoughts and replicate that so he was becoming more and more human ish so i'm wondering if the mor the morality tales are something more like okay we've we're trying to figure out what those things are so when we become them we can keep ourselves or we can figure out without having to, to mimic somebody what, what their personality is and what their, I mean, what their uh, emotion, emotional state is and just sort of an interesting, you know, like Boiler says, like, why do Vendorians don't care about human morality? It's like, I'm wondering if it's because this guy was there for a year that maybe they found it interesting. And so they're basically doing these tests just to kind of yeah. 
like, hmm, maybe do we want to actually, you know, talk with the humans? Um, yeah, I like and, that. And Vendor Prime is actually quarantined by Starfleet. It's they're not allowed to go. People are not allowed to go there because of their they, they, their deceitful ways and the fact that they can look like anything. So I kind of like Boimler's po- point about like uh, maybe we don't listen to those stereotypes because maybe that's not true. I love that. That's a that's a really yeah. cool way of looking it's very at Star it. Trek. I kind of like the mysterious nature of the Vendorian, so I don't know if I want to know why they're doing the morality test, but if there is an explanation, now I want it to be that explanation. I I can't think of anything (laughs) that would be better than that. Just something like, yeah, and I could have probably stated that a little bit better, but I think you get the gist. But yeah, I I, I like the idea that they're, I don't want to know what their planet necessarily looks like. In fact, the fact that we knew about the brood pods or whatever, that's almost too much information. And also, I don't want more Gorns, basically, from Strange New Worlds. <laughs> yeah, we don't need more Xenomorph stand-ins in the Star Trek universe. No. So maybe they're like, it's not painful or something. Who knows? <laughs> I like that idea of like, oh, the Vendorians, they're kind of, they're like a real paranoid race and real protective. And maybe they only have like interactions with the Romulans. So yeah, of course, they would be kind of scared of outsiders because the well, Romulans too, are jerks. Yeah, because yeah, they're in the same star, not same star system, but they're like next door neighbors, essentially. But after uh, their encounter with Carter Winston from from the animated series, and after uh, you know getting getting to know one human and getting to... and he's a, this philanthropist that did all this great stuff for people and you know saved McCoy's daughter's planet and all that stuff. So it's a really good human for them to get to know. Kind of kind of made them want to uh, want to explore and learn more. So yeah, but that's my headcanon. And so it's a good headcanon to have around, I think. But from Boimler's story, we we learn the the Gammonite thing. They need it's a great little Star Trek MacGuffin get out of jail free card. Like, oh, we'll just make up a mineral that helps solve the problem, Gammonite. Right. But to get it out of his pants, they have to. Uh, uh, I guess. I guess they could have used my jacket. <laughs> they had to phaser his pants on on set on disintegrate and then chip the Gammonite out of the rock and. It was like a filter or something almost or something. It is funny with the the whole like, uh, wow, you just like no questions asked. You just immediately did <laughs> you just that. Took your so. pants off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're roommates. Uh-huh. Okay. Did you get the visual humor of Boimler with his with like his his shirt wrapped around his waist like how we used to like do in the in the 90s? Yeah. Like Bill and Ted style. But I love these like, oh, I guess I could have used my jacket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just no reason to put him in his tidy whities other than to make the uh, the audience at home laugh. That's fine. But we didn't see him, did we? We actually didn't see the the tidy whities. Well, no, we know he wears those. We know it's under. The, no, I know. Uh, <laughs> we know it's under the shirt. Starfleet branded. But the uh, the Balkus Nine Planet. I thought it was cool how um, they put the uh, the really juicy enticing one up next after the Vendorian one. It's like right, right, right when you want to give the episode like a little like shot in the arm, be like, "Oh, Rutherford had a baby with Tiana." Like what? Like that immediately is going to make your ears perk <laughs> yeah. up, and you're going to get on the edge of your seat and be like, "I need to know the story." So well, and, and the way Tendy reacted, it's like, yeah, there, there's more to it than her just being yes. like, uh, they've been being friends. She was not happy about that. Hashtag Team Tenderford. They love each other. Like it's, uh, it, it's gonna like there's something there. Like I, I hope that the show lasts however many seasons it needs to last. Like get to the point where we can like have them like. I I don't need them to necessarily be like married with children, but I I need them to at least be boyfriend and girlfriend for a little bit. At least, like, I, I just needed to see that them try. They they need to try a relationship. I need yeah. that to be happy. And it, they could do it, and it just turns out it's like, nah, that wasn't really, you know, what we wanted to do. And they go back to being friends. And they go back to being friends. But that's that would be cool. I, I don't want to see them try it, and then it goes badly. 
But uh, I guess I guess Tindy would be a, a stepmother then. I mean, they say it's not really Rutherford's baby, but <laughs> right. But then whenever they want it to be a joke, they're always like, "Oh yeah, me and Doctor T had a cave baby." So <laughs> they're kind of having their cake and eating it too. So also, this is the second time a male engineer has gotten pregnant. Yeah, in Star Trek. So, uh, so the uh, the I was joking. That... I said you know like surprise, Jordy never had that happen to him. And somebody said, "Well, he has two daughters, and we don't know who the mom is." <laughs> That's true. True. Um, it is. Yeah, that was like the big question in Picard season three. Everyone was asking like, "Who is the mom?" We never found out. Apparently, it's not Leia Brahms. Doctor Brahms. Yeah. Well. We Which all is good, we all like that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I didn't think I didn't think his kids really looked like her, anyways. But uh, but they did. They someone said no. that Terry or Lavar or someone. I think I think Lavar Burton. Was I think like, it was. Yeah. Oh, I think it was with Terry. It yeah. might have been both of them. Cave baby. When Rutherford said, "Yeah, me and Doctor Tiana had a baby," I was like, "Okay, there's gonna be a good explanation." I just like I immediately trusted the show. I was like, "Lower Decks isn't yeah. gonna do something like stupid with that." There, I, I trust them. Let's see what this is. But I was excited to see it. And uh, Dr. Tiana was, it was cool to see her like so out of her element. And this is like a fun little character beat, just her and Rutherford Mm -hmm. having to work together. These two people that are extremely different, extraordinarily different. And if some people might call this like a filler episode, they're like, I need to know what that mysterious ship is. Like, why are they wasting time with this? Like nothing happened or whatever. But like, you don't get like moments like this unless you do stories like this. Like, yeah. You got to stop and breathe sometimes. This is what was missing from Discovery, like I think, for me. Like, stories like this, where it's just like, it's just a exploration of the person's friendship or whatever, you know? Yeah, and, and you can have like a, a, this isn't even like an entire episode, but it's talking about like having that, the, the full experience of that in like one digestible like moment with one self-contained story. And uh, we, we kind of see like a micro version of that here where it's not, not even done with any, with any single episode, but within just a, a, a single scene in the the episode with, or I guess not a scene, but sequence with the Rutherford and Tiana flashback. Yep. Uh, that, that's real satisfying at the end when when she's like, uh, well, you know, this might be the first baby I like, but, but I still don't like engineers. Or no, is it the other way around where she says, you're the first engineer I like? And then at the end, she's like, so do you like it? Uh, a baby is now too, but the uh, the animal they encounter, the graflax. I thought that was a neat creature. <laughs> graflax, <laughs> kind of like a, it felt <laughs> like, like a, a, a aflax. <laughs> it's a twenty first century horda. It's like this is if you're gonna do like yeah. a devil in the dark type story now, like give me give me devil in the dark in a world where like all the animators like grew up playing Pokemon. So it's. <laughs> Somebody mentioned that they should have seen a Horda somewhere in here. Yeah, but I mean, people already like know the Horda. Like we're already like right. friends with the. Yeah, I guess her babies are probably grown by now. So with the Hordas plural, they have like I don't maybe it was a comic or like had had a Horda on on a starship. Like I don't know how that works, but. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like one of the Dominion War books I read, they they talk about like a Hordas that are like the Hordas like join the Federation. Wow, there's a, a a Vorta. There was a Vorta who wanted to meet a Horda in that book, <laughs> which I never realized that rhymed until just now. Um, That's funny. I can't remember if it was a Wayun clone or like another Vorta, but he's like, "Oh, I, re- I really want to meet uh, one of the non-humanoid Federation members, like a Horda." But this thing was cool. I thought like the little baby was cute, and I like I liked how like the parent like just picked it up by the neck and and just headbutted yeah. the cave wall and just these things are so. Like I don't know, like they're like big chunky. It seemed very or cute. Something. Yeah, yeah. someone reminds me of Saylots in a little bit, in a little way. Oh yeah, I can see that. Made me think of my sister. My sister has a, a a big giant English bulldog, and it made me think of him because he, yeah. he's just like a big dumb lunkhead. Did we figure out who did the voice? I don't know who did the voice of the Graflax. 
It doesn't sound like anybody from the main cast that I can tell. Doesn't Nolan North do a lot of voices on Lower Decks? I'm going to guess he did it. Mm, okay. But the reaction from Mariner and Boimler and Tindy when they're like, how the hell did you never tell us that you had a baby? But it's one of those relatable things where like you, that happens with like a friend that you, you used to talk to like every day and then like you, you don't talk to as often. And then they tell you about like this thing and you're like, oh, you didn't tell me that you had a new job or like, oh, you didn't tell me that yeah. your parents are you getting a divorce or, or you, whatever, yeah. whatever like big thing that they failed to mention, you know? Yep. And it's not really like necessarily like anyone's fault. It just kind of it happens to everybody. I guess it's it's cathartic to uh, I don't know. It makes it makes everyone feel better about that to see other people go through that too. It's that whole relatability thing we were talking about. Yeah. So Gammonite is purple, and uh, speaking of Horda, uh, Pergium is blue. I don't think we ever knew that before. Oh yeah. But we we learn it here when we have uh, Mariner's flashback, and she tells the story of of the planet Glish, where her and Delta shift crashed a shuttle and had to make repairs with Pergium and had some chronoton aging and de-aging going on. <laughs> what do you think of this stuff? I thought that was really fun. It's like the fact that it reversed was weird. I don't know why. And not weird, but it's just like <laughs> it was, you know, as you get closer and it's just like it changed really easily. It was funny. It, it, for some, If all of the stories, I felt like this is the one that went a little too long. Maybe it was like the body horror of the, the leg. I'm like, okay. I get the joke. Oh yeah, the, it it's does gross. that that gross out <laughs> factor thing where it's yeah. like we're we're just gonna like make this linger and draw it out. Yeah, it wasn't as so much as gross, but it's like you can kind of feel <laughs> like it. You can feel it hurt. I guess I don't know. There's something like you know if you've ever broken a leg or hurt something or whatever, it just feels like ah. I love that that Mariner as she was getting older, she developed the same white streak in her hair that her mom has. I loved that. I loved that so much. That was cool. Yeah. You know, like. I used to, uh, I used to feel like uh, I didn't, I didn't think uh, gray hair was was cute on women. But I guess like after uh, after I got older, I got to the point where I'm like, oh yeah, like that's cute. Like a little like gray streak, like that's kind of cute. So she she gets the the Freeman streak in her hair, and then and then later like her her face kind of looks more like Freeman when when mm-hmm. she goes totally gray. But when she has like those really like expressive faces, like to. Uh, what's his name? Asif's leg <laughs> falling off. Yes, it felt like the same like Mariner reactions we typically see. Like I thought they did a good job because they had to basically like you know redraw her face, but they still made it look like yeah. her. Yep, I thought that was cool. I, and I agree with you. Like the reverse aging, it is it is kind of dumb. But I, I when I'm when I'm laughing at a joke, uh, this yeah, much, I, 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 I kind of give them some leeway on it. And maybe dumb isn't the right word. It just feels like it. The rules were weird. I guess I don't know. Yeah, silly. We'll say it's I, it's silly. Yeah shoot what's his name the character that we the with the eye patch oh the the new character that we never knew before um amado amado Am- amado yeah something like that yeah they all have the weird names we were joking about this earlier i looked it up because that was the first name i looked up and it was like it has to it's it's also the name of like a uh, a fungal moss uh thing i was just like oh are they gonna name them are they all named after cave things or whatever and like no that was the only one <laughs> so, so that to but, me uh, indicates they did not have a name for this guy until they maybe. were writing this episode because there's like yeah. tiana is talking about uh you know, like replicating fungal things mm-hmm. were they like googling stuff and then they were like <laughs> they came across they were like googling fungus stuff and they came across this this Let's name. That chat gpt to, to give us an episode <laughs> No, they would not be doing that. <laughs> the, all the Delta shifters, like their names are just, they're they are very awkward names that are hard to remember. Like Asif is their Boimler yeah. guy, and then their Rutherford guy with the eye patch is uh, Amado or whatever we were just saying. And then they're, the tall And then lady, Mariner is Cravadia or Cravat? Cravadius. Cravatus. Or Cravatus. K A R A V 
I T U S. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, I'm Cara not even close to how I thought it was spelled. I I'd put the uh, the subtitles on. Amadou is the Rutherford, and Asif is Boimler. And Asif actually is a real name. That that one I knew. And then their attendee stand-in, who's not in this episode, but we got her name nope. last year, is Moxie. <laughs> Lieutenant Moxie, which is great, because it's like, Tendi has such Moxie, yeah. basically. And she's like, the, she feels like the Tendi of their group, but mm-hmm. they all have, like, their designs are like, they don't, none of them, like, they don't look great. They look, in, they're like intentionally, like, uh, awkward designs, and then their yeah. names are strange. I think there's a certain inelegance to them. I think they're also awkward because we know that they're a version of our main characters. Right. So there's something odd to that. Like, if we'd never seen main characters, maybe it wouldn't have looked different. Especially um, Caravadias, whatever her name. Gosh, I can't believe I can't pronounce that. Mariner 2. <laughs> but I like their, their kind of story and their bonding. And um, if, if people recall uh, when I was talking about Room for Growth in Season 3... I, I didn't mind, you know, kind of the joke, like them competing over like getting getting the new room, getting the new quarters. But I did say at the time, I wished that there was kind of a, you know, a solidarity message, you know, workers of the world unite, as Rom would say. And I, I feel like we're getting that more here where it's like, oh, yeah, we should actually like, you know, bond over the fact that we do the same work at different times. Not not use that to like divide us, but use that to kind of unite yeah. us. And so I liked the message to that. I did love when they talked about like, a, you know, I've only met the captain a handful of times or whatever. It's like because. We literally did the same thing in our, our improv show because we were Delta Shift. We're, we're Night Shift. So it's like, I met my captain twice. Once when I got on the ship and once when I drunkenly stumbled through her her quarters in a, in a mission that was very much like the Naked Now in some ways. We had alcohol that reversed our personalities, which was interesting. So you would just become the opposite of how you normally yeah. are? Yeah. So our, our kind of surfer dude... Uh, security officer basically became captain picard <laughs> he was like doing the whole british accent and everything but yeah so it was it, that was fun but i love thanks so much for crashing us it's like we lost power shuttles are shaped like bricks what's what it's supposed to do it's like they are they're not like they're there's nothing aerodynamic about them but yeah i enjoyed that story though good to see see them actually connecting with another shift it made me think of like um you see this in sports sometimes like in like in football like Sometimes you like an offense and a defense, like on the same team, like they don't get along. They're like, you know, y'all aren't doing your job right. And that makes our job harder. And you kind of get like those conflicts. And it's like, sometimes mm-hmm. you got to remember like, hey, we're all on the same team, you know, like we're not playing against yeah. each other, you know? So it's kind of like, it's exactly. kind of like that same mentality. It is like a workplace 100%. thing. Another relatable thing. Uh, Tendi's story at the end, when the green one gets to speak, it actually doesn't involve a cave. <laughs> so uh, Aaron and I decided to skip over her story and not actually talk about it. <laughs> No, we won't. We won't do that to Tindy. Not to not to the green one. No, everybody loves Tindy. She seems like she's become like a really popular character in the show. Like people loved Mariner and Boimler right out of the gates, but I, I kind of feel like Tindy yeah. might be. She might be like the breakout star. She might be like the actual, you know, kind of like how everyone's fan favorite was like really Spock, not Kirk. I kind of feel like Tindy right. might be the superstar of Lower Decks with Talyn pulling up a close second. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, in some people's minds, I they think. might be my two favorites, but I don't know. I love I love a lot of these people, but. Uh, what, what do you think of her story? I love that it, it took place immediately after what we saw in the first episode. The ship is drawn the way it's it's the older, not rendered quite as well version of the ship. So it was like a real flashback. And they're they're creating like new because sh- we get like a reverse shot of the shot we saw last time, I think, when when Mariner starts chanting like lower decks, lower yeah. decks at the end of the first episode. Yep. Uh, it was the same dialogue. This also really helped to to solidify like why they were such good friends so quickly. Hmm. Because they spent a huge chunk of time trapped together in a turbo lift. 
Yeah. And being scared half to death by Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> and they're in there for a while. Yeah. I liked them like, a, I guess, playing Targ oh, instead of yeah. like playing horse, horse, which I thought the way you play that was like everyone has to like try to make the same shot and the first one who can do it with like enough letters to spell horse. But I don't know. Rutherford says no like, idea. oh, that spells Targ, so I'm out. So apparently I don't know how to play this game either. Or maybe maybe they're the ones who were doing it wrong. But When I saw the four hours, like the four hours later. Yeah, the SpongeBob <laughs> thing. Yeah. Which, I, I've, never which even, I've never seen that show. I, know, I like haven't either, episode, but like I know but... that that's from SpongeBob. It's, <laughs> yeah. like po- it's like people who've never watched Star Trek. They know the live long and prosper is a Star Trek. Thing. Right. The dude with the ears says it. <laughs> I like the uh, the moment of b- right before Shax pops in, though, when they are kind of uh, they're, they're passed out. Um, it, it's unfortunate that Tindy had to pee in the, the corner. Um, but uh, even despite that, though, she is still like in a good chipper mood because she says, uh, I was worried about, you know, being new on the ship and being in a riot. And they're kind of like all like passed out. I'm not sure like who actually hears who's actually like paying attention to her saying this. But I, I love that it reminded us like, oh, yeah, when she came on board the ship, like it didn't really like show it to us at the time. But she was super nervous and super like self-conscious and worried like people are going to prejudge me for being Orion and, and how she right. must have been relieved when she's like, oh, the, the first three people I met are actually like really cool friends and I get along with them. So until crisis point when I get turned into a, <laughs> into stereotype. a stereotype. Well, yeah. But uh, she had to educate still, Mariner. That I, was one, still one of my favorite lines out of the entire series is just like, it's like Orion. She's talking like, yes, and I do this. She's like, theft. She just randomly says the word theft. It's <laughs> like, like, okay. I just love that she's like, is so, well, we actually learned that she is a, was a good pirate, but I just think it was funny how she played it off as, as not. I'm also like, Curious how much of of these backstories were thought out before that first season, because Mm. like a lot of like Rutherford's implant, you know, Tindy being a secret badass. A lot of that stuff is is laid in there in the in the first season. I feel like they knew they were going to do something with his implant. I don't know. It changes. I think it changed because like the the first episode, he's like, oh, this is like brand new. But then uh, later we see like that flashback, which turned out to be Buen Amigo and all that stuff. So, and the, but that first flashback where we didn't like—I don't think they knew it was Buen Amigo then because mm-hmm. it was that person was way too young and in the wrong uniform. <laughs> yeah, it's like we know it's going to be something, but we don't know exactly what. But yeah, I feel like that's what they did with Battlestar Galactica a lot. Yeah, that was like Ron lost. Moore's like a—he <laughs> was doing that on purpose. He's like, we're we're intentionally going to make this up as we go along and. Great. That's that's a great plan. <laughs> I mean, it, it made the show, you know, you you can you can like it, you can love it or hate it as much as you want based on that. But that that is the reason it got the result that it got. I did like it. Uh, there was some video and I've never been able to find it since. But I think Sci-Fi Channel may have made it where it's just like, you know, they were the it's like they were the Cylons. Like they had a plan. Then they had another plan. <laughs> Then there was Plan C, and it just like keeps going. It's like yeah. they keep going through all the different plans that the, they have. It's the like, Cylons had so a plan. Drop, yeah. There's so many dropped threads of stories in that show. The writers' room did not. No, exactly. <laughs> but I thought it was hilarious. One day I'll find that there were many models. One of them even looked like a model. Oh, <laughs> yeah, six. Like in a red dress. Yeah, yeah. Her. Like yeah. But you know what? Galactica did not have. It did not have enough stories set in caves. No. I think the original one may have had more stories set in games, the 78 one. Yeah, they did more planet stuff in yeah. that one. But uh, they didn't have any uh, sentient caves which or uh, carnivorous No, I moss. love that they referenced that. Yeah. The sentient cave that was, what was that, Envoys? I think it was that episode. No, it was, um, it was the first one. It was, uh, oh, the first one, okay. Uh, in uh, Second Contact. 
Oh yeah, with the the cow, the spider cow. Yeah, but they they have a ton tons of cave stories. It sounds as many conspiracy theories as Levy had. Uh, the, yeah, the lower deckers have, cave, have cave stories, stories. To, to tell the tell the moss. But I liked the revelation that it was all a Vendorian test, and that it matches what we saw last week with a, a few badgies more when. Rather, I'm sorry, when Boimler and Tindy are watching Agamus and Peanut Hamper have a good time and they're like, oh, just give, oh, yeah. give them a few minutes longer. It's got like They've been doing that a lot. Yeah, but it's like we're all, you know, a certain stage in our journey and there's like, you know, yeah. we're seeing like the people, we're watching like the people coming up behind us, but at the same time, like there's people ahead of us that are watching us. The way the Vendorian's holding its its tentacles, I'm like, that's interesting. It's almost like it's making fingers. Yeah, the the animators like the, they really like take their time to add so much stuff. Go- like I love pointing out in Lower Decks how like if you look at the background, like compare how characters behave on this show to a lot of other animated shows, especially like anything that's more than ten years old, and you you don't see like that level like people like doing things in the background. People are like having yeah. conversations. People are like working on things. Like there's so much like movement, and it makes it feel so lived in. Yeah, I would say this feels like there are more people. In, on the Cerritos than we've ever seen on like the Enterprise or Voyager. Well, Voyager didn't have a ton of people. You know, it's just like, oh, this feels like a lived-in universe because there's it's because it's easier to draw people than it is to put people in there in real life. And then you have people like uh, Amadou or however you say his name, who like we've we've seen him before, but like he's just he never like spoke or did much, but now he right. does. Or like they do that that constantly happens. Yeah, like uh, Fletcher. Was a, a character that was the first time I, I saw it. But in season one, there's a you know a random dude in the background in a few episodes. And then all of a sudden, like one episode, he's he's one of like the the central characters, and he's he's voiced by a, he's a guest in one star. of these flashbacks too. I think he's in Mariner's flashback. Oh, that's interesting. Fletcher, like in the bar. Yeah, it would have to be there because um, that's you, that's the yeah. only one that's in season one. But I don't yeah. know if I have him in in any screenshots. I have to go back and look. But that's cool. I don't know if you have anything else on the episode. Any like final thoughts? Before we go into the, the Gornag section of the show. Well, I know that some people were like, oh, it's like the, the moss is actually a Vendorian. But that's not plausible given their, like, their, the rules of the Vendorians. Of, and I, I feel like Mike McMahon wouldn't just randomly change them because he's been pretty good at keeping to whatever was set in the animated series. Is that they can only change into something that's roughly their size and mass. So turning into mm-hmm. this would not be possible. And also... It just it feels like a separate entity, and I know some people are like, "Oh, it's just another Vendorian," but I'm like, I don't think it is. They also shot they phasered part of it too at one point. So, if the the moss is not a Vendorian, do you think the moss is in on the joke? Does the moss know that this is all a morality test, mm. or is it being tested too? Maybe the Vendorians are oh. actually testing the moss, and they don't <laughs> they don't care about these Starfleet people. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, it feels like they just like, okay, this is this is a good, you know, th- we know that this will happen if we bring them here. You know, like let's see uh let's let's see what happens when the 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 moss is e- inching towards them and they're going to die or possibly going to die. But you bring up a good point about like the moss probably is not a Vendorian because like why would it be like a oh I'm like all lonely in this cave and it's like that's all yeah. a lie and like I don't I don't want it to be a lie I want it to be like oh they actually did become friends with this moss yeah which is a weird thing to say uh, uh, when you're talking about a TV show like I I was really hoping they'd become friends with that moss dang it but. and you can't tell by uh, doing a scan because at least in the TOS era he read exactly as human slightly off but like you know within such an acceptable parameters that people wouldn't have ever guessed yeah. he was a Vendorian. So there's also, I guess 
there's that possible like discrepancy in the animated series episode, but then the the the, the novel tried to explain and fix with the Vendorians can only shape shift to something of like their same size because there's the confusing dialogue in the episode of that he shape shifted into the deflector shields, no, but the book no is is a component of the deflector. That was the. Dish. It's not. Uh, the I thought literal it was like the deflector book that, dish. that explained no. it. Oh, okay. You can actually see him, like, they show the stuff that got pulled out that Scotty was trying to fix. So he just fashioned himself into whatever he destroyed over that uh, at that point. And since he destroyed it, it might have been easy for him to, like, recreate it because he touched it. I don't know. He knew the, knew the shape. Yeah. That is, like, another thing that bothers me with shapeshifter stuff. It's like, how can a shapeshifter, like, look at something, like, one time and then immediately yeah. know how to turn into, like, an exact copy of it? It's like, you didn't even see it from every angle. Like, how did you know what the, like, how did you know what the back of the, that person's head looked like or how tall they are? All you saw was, like, a picture of them. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> the, like, I think the Vendorians actually touch whatever they change into. So it's like, there's some right, sort so of... Right, so it makes more sense then. Yeah. And Odo, it's like, oh, I can't turn into a human, but let me turn into, like, a bird with all of these individual feathers and all this. I'm like, yeah, no, that's not... Come on. Yeah, Odo's <laughs> shape-shifting, and it's like, okay, a bird can fly because it it has hollow bones and it doesn't weigh hardly anything. So, like, when right. Odo is flying around, am I supposed to believe, like, oh, he must only <laughs> weigh, like, eight pounds or something, or he wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> Maybe he is very light. I don't know. I never thought about that. You can't. Can you pick up his bucket when he's in there? Because he, we shouldn't be able to if yeah. he, if he's like the as a person. weight of a of a grown adult. But but he'd blow away if he wasn't. That's the other thing. It's like yeah. you know, if you poke at Odo too much, he doesn't make sense. Tribbles don't make sense. How could how could that much yeah. matter reproduce that quickly? Um, a, right. a lot of the a lot of the science in Star Trek makes a yeah. little bit of sense on the surface, and then you poke at it, and it's like, oh, this actually doesn't. But at least it did on the surface. At least it tried. You know, it yes. tried to dress itself up as real science. Dr. Aaron keeps them in line, uh, you know, yes. when I'm, I'm sure it, I'm sure it's hard, but she's uh, she manages to. It's a lot easier than doing one of like the improvised generation or something where afterwards they'd be like, hey, how is our science? And she's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> this would work a lot better if I could give you notes ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which you can't do. So that was funny. Nice. Well, uh, I don't think I have anything else uh, on this episode. No, I just loved it. I just thought it was a lot of fun. It's one of those ones that I will now be able to put on in the background if I just want to watch a fun episode. Yeah. Comfort Trek is what I called it. <laughs> we should remind people that you were on uh, Trek Culture's uh, podcast this week. Uh, I, I listened yes. to that earlier today. And uh, uh, Sean referred to last week's episode as um, it was, yeah, I believe he said it was uh, pleasantly inoffensive or something. <laughs> and I kind of feel that way about this one. This one has, but this feels like it has more to it. There's more it, it does, than the last one. It does for me because of the Vendorians, because of like that, like, like oh, you did not have to like, like go pull that thing from the animated series and dust it off and show it some respect and kind of like, you know, give the Vendorians their, their day. But I'm so glad that, that we got that. But they're also, they're learning about the other pe- people and there's like a whole story of like, you know, reconnecting so that didn't happen with Badgie and, and like I mean I guess there's this story it's like oh she actually did feel remorseful but you didn't see any of that it just was stated so I don't know I just felt like this had more emotional oomph to it which is weird given that all the stuff that happened in the last one should have been more impactful but yeah unoffensive and the other uh podcast actually that I'm on is the Mo- Modifius uh Star Trek Adventures podcast we recorded that a couple weeks ago where we just talk about the supplement 
that I worked on for Star for the Trek game. Adventures. Yeah, so yep. people out there want some some Star Trek RPG action to play. You know, we're about to yes. be on a hiatus between shows. We don't know when Disco Season 5 is coming out. We don't know. I mean, I'm, I love that we saved Star Trek Prodigy, but we don't know when it's dropping on Netflix. So might be a while for new Star Trek. It'd be a great time to uh, to play your own Star Trek. Yeah, I know that we, we need to talk about what we're going to do with Drawn to Trek, but uh, at some point, I do want to actually play that uh, as a stream for, like, you know, one mission or something even. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I think that'd be fun, too. So You can play a Vendorian. Oh, yeah, if you play a Vendorian, you get to play, like, basically anything, because then you can be like, oh, I'm just going to shapeshift into a, into a Bolian. <laughs> I'll just be a Bolian right now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, what did you touch the bowling or did you see it like yeah we don't know what those rules are there is no rules for them actually so no. it's whatever you make yeah, up in whoever's the game. running the game will will make the up game the game master yeah. yeah he'll tell us or they, they will tell us the rules yes um so let's go into our uh gorn egg section of the show then where we like to talk about easter eggs in jokes and continuity connections we think are worth mentioning uh starting with chiron four uh, of all the planets they put in this episode, and I love that they have Roman numerals and Arabic numerals, and it's all, like, mixed up, and it's like, because Star Trek has used, you know, planet naming conventions of every format you can think of, and it's like, yeah, it's yeah. all there. It's all there. So, but uh, of of all the planets, Chiron 4 is the only one that I found any, like, existing connection to, and all it is is that uh, Alexander... Uh, speaking of sons of Star Trek, a uh, Worf's boy, Alexander, uh, he said one time him and his dad saw a uh, Chironian tiger in the zoo. So maybe the Chironian yeah. tigers come from Chiron 4. But I like or that Chiron is just a joke as the Chiron that you put the that's the name of the thing that you put words up on a screen. The Chiron. It's the old but it's CH or something like that. I think it's spelled differently. Uh, the uh, the Vendorians, they are a species first seen in the animated series. Oh, the, when Spock says like, deceit of uh, deceitful way of life or whatever, it's like it, maybe that just means they can change into anything else. That might be like quote unquote deceit is just pretending to be something else. Yeah, that's a very um, like a, that's uh, a very clinical use of the word that I, I, I that yeah. Spock would I can see him applying it that way. That that makes sense. Yeah. I, I get where you're coming from. It's a hard thing to explain, but I, I think I know what you're how you're thinking about yeah. that. I know that they were the one of the things they mentioned that it was both both Romulans and humans have you know part of their treaty is that they would not use vendorians as spies mm. so that's kind of interesting that's cool too that makes them sound like pretty badass yeah. they're like like nuclear weapons like the vendorians like yeah. we got to take them off the table like no one uses them like well they're before you know they're they're basically the the shape like odo's people before there was odo's people yeah um and you know like they they sounded like they were persecuted and suffered from like a lot like everyone was like paranoid and like um you know it kind of yeah. makes sense people would be uh you know untrusting of shapeshifters yeah. There's some fun references in Levy's conspiracy theories. Uh, so the, <laughs> the ones that I thought were like the, the coolest references, uh, he talks about the obelisks, which I choose to believe was a reference to the preserver obelisks. Old school TOS stuff. I love it. Uh, the Klingon civil war that the Vendorians are denying that they had involvement in. They did not do, as Levy put it, the Klingon civil war. But that's a, that was an actual event if if folks remember in Next Generation Season 4, Season 5, that was their uh, finale premiere when uh, Duras's bastard yep. son tried to take over the Empire. And the warp drive damaging subspace, that was from the TNG episode uh, Force of Nature. 
which I wish more people paid attention to back when that episode aired and maybe uh, climate change wouldn't be as uh, devastational as it is now. Back on Steve Levy really quick. Something that we had pointed out to us is that Steve Levy is also Dan Harmon's assistant turned VP of his production company. And Mike McMahon worked with him together on Rick and Morty. So if you find a picture of the real Steve Levy, it looks very much like the animated Steve Levy. And we're assuming that they are good friends and that this is not like he's a really conspiracy theorist in real life or anything like that. The unexpected pregnancy that Rutherford had, that was a fun one, because uh, we had a, an unexpected pregnancy with uh, Trip Tucker and Enterprise, but it was it was the uh, same type of reproduction. I think they're different alien species. They look very different, but th- they were both, uh, you know, these, these bald-headed alien gals that produced clone babies by, uh, by touching a guy's skin and... Um, it's a kind of inconvenient for Rutherford, but it you know worked out great for her. Like she got to uh, you know continue existing in some forms. Yeah, but it was it was a neat callback to Enterprise. Uh, I just want to say that at New York Comic Con uh, last week, uh, Mike McMahon talked about how it's hard to get Enterprise references into lower decks because the 22nd century is so far away. But he's trying to do something big in season five. That he's hmm. says he's not sure if it'll work out, but hopefully it does. So if you're if you're an Enterprise fan, then that might be something to look forward to. Maybe one of the Enterprise characters time travel or something. It's got to be time travel or holodeck, but um, something. Either one would work. I thought about uh, one of our our regulars, uh, Jill Forty Seven, when the uh, Pergium came into play because uh, I remember when. Dave and I were talking about Deep Space Nine, and they brought back Pergium in that show. She was like, oh, I love Pergium because it references Devil in the Dark. And yes, the uh, the Pergium was the mineral that the miners on Janus 4 were mining and accidentally destroying the, the Horda eggs. So that was, I guess... More caves. Probably not Star Trek's first cave story. I think the first cave story was probably uh, What Are Little Girls Made Of? Well, no, I guess the cage. Go... They, they have caves the in the cage. cage. Yeah. So the first I kind of want to go through and like find out which ep- which series has the most cave uh, episodes. Yeah, and I don't think it's actually like Somebody one kept saying third. like Voyager, but I don't think it's Voyager. <laughs> I don't know. It might be. I I doubt it. It's it's honestly one third like, you know, someone said like it yeah, feels like I a third of our that's... missions are in caves, but it, I I think she's just being hyperbolic. But, but I think it's yeah. pretty high up. Though. Like it might be like one one tenth. Like I I'd, I'd believe it. Yeah. It's it's high. There's even cave missions or caves in the TAS. So and then the, uh, the the cave that Mariner mentions at the end that we were talking about, the, the sentient cave. Um, but she said in, I just said the name of the episode, and I forgot it. Second Contact, that's a dark place that knows things, is how she described yeah. it. So uh, at the time, I, I made the joke that like, oh, is that where like uh, in the other Star franchise, the, the cave that Luke had to go <laughs> into to, to have like that dark vision? It seemed kind of like a dark place that knew things, but what do I know? It feels like he was at the entrance of a cave. It didn't really feel like Luke went into yeah. a cave. Yeah, we were saying how like, I don't know. That never felt like a cave to us. Oh yeah, it was you and I were talking about that. Fun stuff. I, I do like to ask people, you know, how did everyone else feel about the episodes? Y'all heard me and Aaron talk about it for over an hour, so like to you know open the subspace transmissions but there's a especially interesting subject to talk about right now Aaron would be I guess the if we put on like our Steve Steve Levy hats and do a little conspiracy theorizing ourselves and and what's going on with these last two episodes and the mysterious yeah. threat like what's uh you know I, I assume that will be resolved I don't think I don't think they're gonna you know I don't think they're gonna best of both worlds us on the mysterious threat so uh, what's going on there Maybe the Vendorians are doing a morality test. They're grabbing all these people and doing different morality tests. Is it going to be the end of the show now? It was all a Vendorian morality test? (laughs) No, that would be weird. The end of the series. Yeah. There's still ensigns in this first day. (laughs) I need to amend my theories. 
I said last week, I said, like, I don't think it'll be an episode eight at all, but then it'll come back in nine and ten and it'll be a two-parter. So I was right out episode eight and I still think nine and ten will be a two-parter. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's actually, I think it's going to be like a known character. It's going to be like a surprise. Whoever is driving that ship, I don't think it's Section 31 Boimler anymore. Because uh, I don't think they would, I, I don't Why know. I, they, I feel like yeah. it's something, they're they're building up to something like more of a surprise. And I think it might be like a like a returning voice actor. Like, like I, I don't know. Like, it might not be. It's Trip Tucker. <laughs> I mean, something like that. Like, or even like as big as like. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it would be like, you know, Shatner or Patrick Stewart. I don't know if it's like Picard no. or Kirk in there. But I. I think that's possible that we get like a like a big surprise character in the uh, in episode. I think that if it's something like that, they'll drop the bombshell in nine and then kind of finish the story in ten. Well, the question is, it, it, you know, like not that it's going to be this, but like if it was Sela, like, but would that make sense because they also destroyed a Romulan ship, or is that to cover their tracks? You know, like is it one of the races that we've actually seen? Yeah, blown up, or it could be like you know Romulans. I'm sure stab each other in the back all the time. Well, that's true. We've, that was that was what they were doing that that episode. And yeah, I don't know what it is. Like that, I like that actually. I like that I don't. It didn't telegraph the the ending. I'm curious to find out though. I mean, we'll know. Uh, we'll know soon. It, I mean, it's, it, Mirror universe badgy. No, <laughs> well, that would be kind of like Gucci, I guess. Okay, Mirror universe Gucci, which becomes really <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah, in my universe, my name doesn't make sense. It's the opposite of how I am. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because that's normal here. That'd be weird. That's funny. Uh, I I've been uh, watching a uh, Superman and Lois. It's a, a good show. But yeah, you know, they have they have their like Bizarro world, which is basically like the mirror universe. Mm-hmm. And like it doesn't like the, people talk in reverse over there, but it doesn't make sense. Like our language like wouldn't work that way because like the way that we structure languages, you know, like you don't know how sentences are going to end sometimes before you start saying them. So why would you say that sentence right. in reverse like that? It's just, if you it's like stuff like that. Like if you poke at it too hard. You know, on the yeah. surface, it kind of makes sense, but then you start poking well, at it. in the it, comics, they just had bad grammar. It wasn't even, like, reverse, like, you know, me go, to, and it was like, oh, I'm going to go to bed now, which means they're waking up, or whatever, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's morning. The, uh, they basically, like, the show basically uh, gave, gave the, uh, Zatanna, the, the comic book character who does magic spells yeah. by speaking in reverse. She's like, cool. they, they made that the bizarro language, but, yeah. Huh. That's normally a that's normally a sign that I'm rambling too much when I'm talking about some other some other <laughs> TV show. So, uh, but I, I would like to ask people, you know, if if y'all have any theories on who is in that mysterious threat ship, uh, I'm we could use them I'm all ears. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, I, th- I think we might find. I think it's very realistic. We'll find out next week. If not then, then I'm sure the week after. Well, and you know, little um, what is it behind the th- the curtain kind of thing? Like, normally we have screeners by now of, of the next week's episode, mm-hmm. and we will. Pretty much after this episode, we would then go jump on a Discord and we'd watch the next one for next week on Fridays. Is what we normally do, and it's weird that we don't have one. <laughs> We're just like there, there's no, we don't have next week's yet, which means they're probably holding something pretty close to their vest. I think. Yeah, I, I mean, they were they were acting weird like this at the end of Picard season three, which had you know big reveals in there. You know, like the and when we got those screeners, they had like extra yeah. layers of you know, like you had to call and use a do a phone number or whatever it was. I can't remember what it, it was. It was a lot of steps. Yeah, so there there might be something there. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. I just wanted to get that on the record, but before we sign off tonight, because you know we're probably gonna find out next week. That's all I got. So, any any last words from you, Aaron? That's it for me. I'm I don't have any theories right now, and I'm looking forward to uh, the next episode.
Well, uh, folks, please come back next week when we'll talk about uh, Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 9. And thank you so much to the Text Trek Patreon supporters. It really means a lot to us. Uh, again, folks can come into the Patreon as little as $2 a month. That uh, makes it possible to continue doing a, a weekly live show like this. But it'll it'll get you into the watch parties every month. And we got some other perks as well. Thank you, Starfleet Sohel, Cake is Eternal, Crazy Dutchie, Joanne Robertson, John Daw, Geek Filter, Old Grey Trekkie, Quarks Bar, Ben Genium, Stephanie Durantes, Matthew Averett, Braxton, Chuck A, and our anonymous supporters. We'll be back next week, 7 p.m. Central. We're available wherever you get your podcast. And until then, as always, live long and prosper, y'all.